need to get your football fix on all things Army, Navy, and Air Force? This is Yards and Stripes, Service Academy Football. Now, here are your hosts, Price Atkinson and Bill Rowland. Thank you, TJ Reeves, and thank you for tuning in to us this week as we are going to set the table for the 122nd Army-Navy game in our Army-Navy game preview special. I'm Price Atkinson, joined as always this season by my man Bill Rowland up in Northern Virginia. We are going to get you ready for Saturday's Army-Navy game presented by USAA 3 p.m. kickoff on CBS Sports the pageantry, the most pure college football game there is in this country will have liftoff at 3 p.m. We have a loaded, loaded podcast for you this week, Bill. We've got Rich DeMarco, the play-by-play voice of the Army Black Knights. He's going to talk about you know, the season that they have had and coming into this game on a roll. And also, we'll talk with best-selling author John Feinstein, our friend whom both Bill and I know we've had on the podcast right here before. We will talk with John as well. So a lot to do here. Uh, before we get going real quick, Bill Rowland, a couple of uh, announcements as bowl games obviously were announced last weekend. Army will play in the Armed Forces Bowl against the Missouri Tigers. That's going to be an 8 p.m. kickoff on December 22nd in Fort Worth at Amon G. Carter Stadium while the Air Force Falcons, they will play in the First Responders Bowl. Um, that will be on December the 28th, 3:15 kickoff, as they will take on the University of Louisville from Gerald J. Ford Stadium on the campus of SMU in Dallas. So bowl games, two of our three, going to be bowling. Excited about some Power 5 opponents for those, Bill, as we will have our bowl preview special. We will do that next week. We will get into all those bowl games, both the First Responders Bowl for Air Force and then certainly the Armed Forces Bowl Army in Missouri next weekend. Uh, We will do that again, our preview special next week for the bowl games, and we will obviously wrap up what will be Saturday's 122nd Army-Navy game. Bill Rowland, how are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm good, and and that's awesome for both those teams because we had seen some bowl previews that had, you know, Army playing Coastal Carolina or some other. uh, I forget who Air Force was matched up against in another one, but it wasn't Power Fives to get Missouri, to get Louisville, SEC, ACC matchups. That's awesome for uh, for both those teams. I know Army struggled a little bit with uh, ACC school in Wake Forest, but uh, Louisville not as good, not as potent on offense. So that's going to be – we'll get into it next week, but that, that one's going to be a fun one. And and I've liked Air Force all year long, so I think they can I think they can go and beat Missouri, to be honest with you. I'll have to dig deeper into the numbers, but first glance, I, I like the matchup for both those teams. Yeah, fun when you see him take on a Power 5 opponent that does not see the option at all. And, you know, we've seen some other teams, you know, when, when you don't see it uh, and you match up in a bowl game, and boy, you get, some, you get some fireworks. And so those will be two fun games. Um, just to also set the table, the TMF Honor Roll, we'll do that as we wrap up every episode uh, with our Travis Manion Foundation Honor Roll, honoring a fallen hero who has given the ultimate sacrifice. And then Bill and I will give some picks 
before we get out of here in our final segment here uh, on Yards and Stripes, your home for Service Academy football, which you can find on Apple Podcast, uh, Spreaker, wherever you listen to your podcast all season long. We come to you with a new episode every week, usually on Wednesdays, new episode dropping. So hit subscribe on whatever your podcast app of choice is, and you will get this delivered right to your smartphone uh, tablet, computer, whatnot, so you will not miss a thing when it comes to Army, Navy, and Air Force football. Bill, let's get to it. Let's get to this football game. The 122nd installment of the Army-Navy game presented by USAA is mentioned. A 3 p.m. kickoff on CBS Eastern Standard Time. Army 8-3, and three, Navy 3-8. and eight. This game going to be played in East Rutherford, New Jersey, just 11 miles from ground zero. Is this obviously, we know, the 20th anniversary uh, of 9-11, and I set the table here. Let's do it. Um, Army comes into it with on a roll. Navy probably playing its best football, who Jeff Munkin said this week, you know, going to be the most dangerous opponent that they face. I don't think that's hyperbole. You know, when you know each other so well, you know the kids on each side of the football so well. You know, it, this is a game that usually comes down to one thing, and that's the team that makes the fewest mistakes. Yeah, and that's kind of been the, the story for Navy all year long is at the beginning of the year when they got off to that 0-3 start and started 1-6 uh, on the year. A lot of it was just mistake after mistake. Um, you know, early on after they lost to Marshall, you know, 49-7 to in the season opener and then couldn't move the ball at all against Air Force, and dropping that game early on, uh, 23-3. Since then, they've played better. It, it sounds strange to say that they got off to a 1-6 and start, but they were better after being 0-2. The problem for Navy, though, is, as you mentioned, Army knows them so well. And Navy's defense has still struggled at times. They gave up 38 to East Carolina, um, gave up 35 at Memphis. No shame there. Memphis is a good team, and that was one of those Thursday night games. But they still struggle defensively at times. Their offense is what's gotten better over the course of the season. But have they got good enough? And are they better enough now than they were at the beginning of the year? Look, I, I would have thought this was a 20-point game for Army if you had asked me after Air Force beat Navy. Now I think it's going to be close. But I still think Army may be just that much better. Navy's going to have to almost play perfect where I think Army can get away with not being at their best and still win. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it, that Army could probably get away with a mistake or two more just simply because I, I think they're the more talented team. You know, I think they have a deeper stable of backs. You know, quarterbacks, I think they're certainly deeper at that position. I think their offensive line is played good. And, and obviously on defense, you know, what what Army and we're going to talk with Rich DeMarco a lot about, you know, the Black Knights and get into their side, you know, of – you know, offense, defense, special teams, and, and a lot more. But, you know, they come into the game on a four-game win streak. And I'm with you because you mentioned, you know, Army we know has had a, a fantastic season. While Navy has improved, and there's no doubt about it, they have, especially on offense because their last two games, 35 and 38 points, I think the most points they've scored in two years. Yeah. Without a doubt, they have found something. Now, whether that has anything to do with Ivan Jasper, you know, having been relieved of play calling duties and maybe Coach Ken Niamatololo, who's really taken over that play calling, whether that has anything to do with it, I don't know. Does it have more to do with comfort and Ty Lavatai, who we think probably is going to be getting his first career start in the Army-Navy game? 
Might it be Xavier Arline? Um, we don't know, but I think we probably are, you know, can assume that it will be Lavatai because that's when the Navy offense has been its best all year, is when he has been under center. I'm sure there'll be some first game jitters, you know, in this rivalry. Um, but uh, taking care of the football will be the name of the game for the Navy offense because, as we know, that playmaking defense uh, that Army has uh, on defense, they know how to make things happen. Yeah, and part of that for, for Navy, the improvement on offense, you talk about the last couple of games, it, it, you also look at it just being the level of competition. You know, because it's tough to you're not going to drop 30 on number two Cincinnati. You know, that's just not going to happen. So East Carolina, who's had a decent year this year, but they're still not they're still not on the level of a Memphis, of a Cincinnati, obviously, uh, even of an SMU. And Temple has just been a, a dreadful football team for the last few years. So part of it, I think, is level of competition. <clears throat> but they have found something to get themselves going. And even defensively on the other side of the ball, I think Navy has made some adjustments. Their secondary has been playing a little bit better over the last couple of weeks. I mean, they held Notre Dame to what? It was 17-3, to right, going into the fourth quarter, and then they just got worn down late yeah. in that game, kind of what we figured. You hope that they can stand up and don't get worn down by Army methodically moving the ball down the field against them. They've struggled, I think, more this year, Navy has, with the quick strike offenses, teams that can go – 75 yards in three plays like Memphis did to them uh, on that Thursday night game where it was quick scores and they just couldn't keep pace. I'm going to be interested to see how they do against an Army team who, if they hit a big play, it's because a guy breaks off a 70-yard run. They're not necessarily going to be passing you know, every down, four or five play drive. So can Navy stand up to that constant pressure of what they do to other teams and giving up four, five, six yards a, a chunk and if you give up a 13-14 play drive for a touchdown, can they bounce back and say, it's fine, they took seven minutes off the clock, that's okay, we're still in it. It's better than giving up the touchdown in three minutes and then having to go back out there. Yeah, I, that's what I'm curious. You know, the Army big play ability to strike and, you know, strike with something big. You know, we know that they can – you know, you know, hold the football and go down the field and take nine minutes off the clock in doing so. But they have the ability to strike quicker with big plays versus Navy. Can Navy limit those big plays? You know, I think that's a big key for Army is is hitting a few of those big plays. Not that they not that they can't do it the other way, you know. But maybe taking the wind out of the Navy sails, you know, by a couple of those big like we saw in the second half against Air Force. You know, they came out and there were fireworks um, inside. Uh, Globe Life Stadium there in in Houston. Um, you know, for Navy, I think I think it's pretty simple. Is I mean, you don't turn the football over, and you got to convert on third down because you really want to keep your offense on the field. Your defense, while not as deep um, as Army, and especially I don't think Navy's as deep everywhere, but you want to keep your defense off the field as much um, as possible. So um, I think those are big keys. Something you mentioned though. Um, you know, it, and, and it, I was looking at it just actually yesterday and then, then again this morning, you know, is maybe Navy more battle-tested, you know, playing in the American Athletic? But then I went and looked, and, you know, while Navy competes in the AAC and we know they play a conference and you don't have the, the UConns and the UMasses sprinkled in, um, you know, Na Army has played eight teams who are bowl eligible and six teams who, who finished first or second in their respective conferences. Yeah. You know, when you look at the Army schedule on paper, 
you know, you're littered with a bunch of Northeast, you know, Patriot League independents, but, you know, you break it down a little bit more and you see what some of the teams have done. It's not half bad. No, no. I mean, they, they don't have the, the marquee names of, you know, Cincinnati, who's going to be in the college football playoff. And, uh, you know, even uh, Houston, which made, you know, the, the AAC finals uh, to take on Cincinnati. And, and so you have some marquee names there. But, yeah, Wisconsin ended up having a pretty good year uh, after being ranked at the beginning and then falling out of the top 25. Um, you know, Wake Forest made it to the ACC title game. So, yeah, I mean, Army's schedule, we, we kind of laughed at it a little bit with, the you know, again, the, the FCS schedule that they have on there. But they played some solid teams this year. I, I don't think – and it's a great point to, to sit there and say, you know, hey, Notre Dame – you know, Cincinnati, Houston, teams like that are going to make you more prepared. But I'm not sure any schedule that you play necessarily has you ready for what's to come on Saturday because these two teams, this is more important. If they had beaten Cincinnati Navy, if they'd pulled off that upset and then lose the game to Army at the end of the year, they wouldn't have cared about the Cincinnati game, I don't think. I mean, it'd been nice, obviously, but it wouldn't have been – They'd rather win this game than anything else. So I, I think, yes, it helps them because they've played more talented teams than Army, but ultimately they point every single year for this, you know, this Saturday in December preparing for it. So I, I think a lot of times, yeah, it'll help, but I'm not sure, and I know it's a terrible cliche, I'm not sure either one of these teams would care if they played a bunch of high school teams leading up to this game. They point yep. at this one every single year. Yeah, there's nothing, there is nothing else that matters. You know, Jeff Munkin, when his team came in on Sunday to look at the, you know, they pretty much knew where they were going bowling and nobody wanted to talk about Missouri and postseason. The only thing anybody right. wanted to do was talk about, you know, the Naval Academy in this game. And, you know, Army obviously can win the Commander-in-Chief trophy outright with a win. They retain it with a loss. The last time, though, that teams went one and one versus each other, you know, in the proverbial round robin, which is basically what the Commander-in-Chief trophy is, was 1993. Wow. So that's the last time it was, you know, quote-unquote, I don't want to say shared, but it was retained. Somebody did not win it. Um, Navy does lead the overall series 61-53-7. to to That was by virtue of 14 straight that they won starting in 02, but Jeff Munkin made sure that winning streak came to an end, and now Army has won four of the last five, and three of those four wins by a touchdown or less Last year was the, you know, kind of aberration when it was a 15 to nothing win at West Point in the fog. But, you know, Navy 3-1 and one in games versus Army it played in the Meadowlands Complex, and they've won the last two. Um, you know, what wrinkles might we see? Again, you know, you know each other so well. Do you just go out there and do what you do? Because most coaches will tell you, we just got to go out and be confident in us. If we do what we need to do, will win the game but usually there's a wrinkle or two especially earlier on in the you know when you play air force especially like navy when you get into the latter half of the season there's only so many wrinkles you can throw at them you know but what might teams do to change things up i think you might see that more defensively you know in in terms of looks and in different fronts and masking coverages and stuff than maybe on offense coming out in the pistol or anything like that. But that's always something to watch, no matter when a service academy team matches up against the other, is what might you see a little bit different? Something that you might might have been holding in the playbook. Is it a look? 
Is it something that you're trying to hit on? Um, is it one play? You know, is it a reverse or is it an onside kick? You just don't know, but it's always kind of that, you know, unexpected what wrinkle might a team throw out. Yeah, if I'm Army, because I, I am going to go into this game feeling I have, I have the more talented team, I'm not starting to dip into my bag of tricks unless I'm down or it doesn't look like it's going that way. Uh, don't going well for us, and we need to kind of spark our team with a trick play or whatever it may be, something to get the the sideline excited. If I'm Navy, then I'm thinking, yeah, you know what, we may have to pull out all the stops, try to get an early lead, try to get Army thinking, oh my gosh, this is not going the way we thought it was going to go. So, yeah, if I'm Army, if I'm Coach Munkin, I'm not really looking necessarily to pull a fast one, say, in the first half. I'm going to go out there and say, I think I've got the better team. I think I've got the better defense. Um, quite honestly, I think they have the better special teams as well. So let's just go out, line up, do what we do, as you said, and see where we are after 30 minutes. And if they're in control of the game, even if it's you know one score, say it's you know 14-7 to seven at halftime, but they're controlling it, I don't think you need to worry about it. But if it's a close game where they find themselves down at halftime, then I think you might see them pull out like they did against Air Force and say, all right, guys, you know what? I know we're the Army. It's time to go with the air raid offense. Let's throw this thing in the second half and see if that Navy secondary can hold up. You know, looking at the the coaches in this in this matchup, Ken Amatololo, the head coach at Navy, the winningest coach in the Army Navy series with nine wins. Uh, Jeff Munkin, this will be his eighth Army Navy game as the head coach of the Black Knights. He's four and three in his previous seven games, and obviously six games as an assistant. You know, at Navy, and you know, Army this week has been practicing going back to their CIC periods where they go with their starters versus their starters. They don't go with the scout team. Um, you know, obviously to simulate the speed of, of the offenses and, and the option. Um, defensively in this game, you know, could this might be one of those low scoring, you know, 10-6, who knows? Um, one thing you're going to see on both sides of the football in this game is you're going to see, you know, two solid defenses, but you're going to see a couple outstanding players. And most folks who, who follow Service Academy football know Diego Fago. Uh, the inside linebacker for the Naval Academy, uh, senior, and then Andre Carter, the big 6'7", 250-pound junior outside linebacker that lines up at end. Uh, outside linebacker can line up everywhere, leads the nation in sacks with 14 and a half for the Black Knights. You know, again, two teams defensively, you know, Brian Newberry uh, for the Naval Academy defensive coordinator and Nate Woody. Um, Brian Newberry brought in you know, a lot of what Jay Bateman started with Army before he left with to go to North Carolina, and Nate Woody's continued it. Brian Newberry's a lot alike in terms of philosophy, in terms of this is not Ben, but don't break. These are attacking, playmaking type defenses that like to go after you, especially, you know, run blitzes that like to try and make plays. You know, you used to see in Buddy Green, when the longtime defensive coordinator, at Navy, it was usually a bend but don't break. Let's just hope we can get a third down, get off the field on third down here or there. That's not what you're going to see with these two teams. These are going to be play, plays made on the defensive side of the football, which, again, goes back to, you know, the mistakes. You know, who can withstand the most mistakes in the game? And that's where I think Navy may struggle at times because on the season, they're only converting 37% on third down. And in a game like this where you need to control the ball and you're trying to sustain drives like that, 
that's not going to get it done. 37% against Army, they're probably going to end up losing the football game. They have to be closer to 50%, if not better. Uh, And I'll say that combined on third and fourth down for Navy because there's going to be both these teams going forward on uh, a lot of fourth downs, I think, whether they're in plus territory or even maybe a little bit before midfield, you may see them go for a, a fourth and one. But I think Army, it's definitely Carter, as you talked about, 14 and a half sacks. I think he's got 16 tackles for losses on the year as well. He's the guy that Navy has to make sure that he's not disrupting everything, causing fumbles, getting turnovers, whatever it may be. Now, He's not going to have as many opportunities to get sacks because I don't imagine unless Navy gets down that they're going to be dropping back and throwing the football. But just his presence, he's going to take up double teams, which is going to allow their linebackers to flow into the line of scrimmage and try to cut things off. So just his presence on that line, even if he doesn't come up with a sack on Saturday, him being there and Navy having to key on him is going to open up the linebackers. Uh, A guy like uh, Eric Smith, I think should have a pretty big day for Army coming up on Saturday. Statistically, a couple things to watch and a couple things that you hit on. Uh, Third down conversions. Navy ranks 88th in the country at 37% converting on third down, while Army is ninth in the country at almost 49% third down conversions. To me, that's one statistic to watch. Another one to watch is red zone defense. Navy's 30th in the country uh, in red zone defense. Army, 121st, one of the worst teams, you know, in the country. And then also, you know, something we're going to talk with Rich DeMarco about is special teams. You know, on the punting side, uh, Army's 35th in the nation, averaging 41 yards a kick, while Navy is down at the very bottom, 113, just at 36 yards a kick. So, I mean, it's only a five-yard difference, but you you count up the number of punts that, you know, let's go back to last year alone when it was punt, 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 punt. That slowly adds up. And if you, especially when you can't get off the field on third down and you keep pinning them back and Zach Harding, the outstanding punter for Army, who's played some, you know, key, had some big moments this year, I think those are a couple things to watch if you're looking in the statistical category, Bill. Well, and we talked about it with Rich, and, and I'll point it out that Navy's struggled on special teams this year, have given up a couple of punt returns and a, a kickoff return for a touchdown, and Army's blocked three punts this year. To me, you start looking at that. I know Navy's cleaned it up a little bit, and they actually had a couple of nice uh, returns in the kicking game in these last couple of games to, to kind of spring their offense a little bit. But overall, Army's special team should be considered, you know, when they do the big the board and they say, okay, offense, defense, special teams, they put the check marks. There should be a couple of check marks on the Army side because I think the special teams, they are much superior to Navy in that category. Uh, and that could be, to me, that's where this game is going to end up being a turning point, whether it's a blocked kick, whether it's a big return, or as you mentioned, just the extra yardage that you get uh, from your punter. I think that's where this game is probably going to be won or lost. Yeah, and I should uh, stand corrected. You know, while I mentioned 41 yards a kick, that's net punting where Army is. Harding actually averages 44 and a half yards a punt. Um, You know, I think the return game, though, whether it's, you know, a kickoff or or punt returns, that on special teams is really the big thing to watch. You know, can you you break one? Because, you know, kickers, you might call it a wash. Cole Talley, just 5 of 7 on field goals, 40 of 42 on extra points for Army. Bijan Nichols is, I think, 14 to 17. He's had some game-winning kicks in his career. Where he's had big moments, but I think it's that return game. Yep. You know, it's, it's, it's the return game trying to limit 
what the other team might do, even if they don't take it to the house. Could they break one for 30 yards? And, you know, while you might think you had them pinned, you know, inside their own 20, they're, you know, returning at 35 yards, say, to the opponent's 45-yard line. To me, that return game on special teams is, is the big thing to watch when it comes to special teams, Bill. Yeah, no question. And, and all it's going to take is for one of these teams – to, to make the mistake on special teams, whether it's muffing a pump, whether it's giving up a big play, a return for a touchdown, or as you said, just one that gets you into plus territory, that could be the break that, that the team needs if you're in a close ball game. And you know what? For Navy, if they've got it cleaned up and they break one, that could be what gets them the victory on Saturday. If they can get a big return at some point in this game and give their offense a short field, that could be just enough for them. But they're going to need to not let Army make that play. They have to be the ones to make the play. Army can get away with it, I think, if they just have an average day on special teams. If, they're, if they don't break one, just average kick returns, punt returns, I think they'll be fine. Navy needs to make sure that they get one and definitely cannot give up one. All right, before we get to Rich DeMarco, the play-by-play voice of the Army Black Knights, Rich is coming up next. Bill and I will talk with him. Uh, but just to let you know, if you're going to be, if you're not going to the game, if you're watching at home, you know the march-ons th- that will all be carried by the CBS Sports Network, the Inside College Football Army Navy march-on presented by USAA. That will be live on the CBS Sports Network. The Brigade of Midshipmen they will march on at 12:10 p.m. Followed by the Corps of Cadets at 12:40. The exchange of what used to be called the exchange of prisoners, but the exchange of cadets and midshipmen, that will take place at 245, followed by the national anthem at 301, and then the flyover at 305, and kickoff will be approximately at 310 p.m. from the Meadowlands. And so the 122nd Army-Navy game presented by USAA can't wait and we will continue talking about it here we have rich demarco coming up next a play-by-play voice of the army black knights and then we will talk with john feinstein the best-selling author and we will talk with him both of those guests coming up next right here on yards and stripes your home for service academy football In 2007, Marine First Lieutenant Travis Mannion was killed in Iraq after saving his wounded teammates. Travis's legacy lives on through the words he spoke before his final deployment, if not me, then who? Words that today fuel the spirit of Travis Mannion Foundation. And through TMF, these words can live in you too. Show the world what you're made of, because character is invisible until it's not. Find out how you can strengthen the character of your community alongside empowered veterans, families of the fallen, and inspired civilians at travismannion.org. All right, welcome back in Yards and Stripes. Service Academy football, your home for Army, Navy, and Air Force. And, guys, it's time. We have liftoff. We also 
have Army Associate Athletic Director in the play-by-play voice of the Army Black Knights, Rich DeMarco. He's a must-follower on social media at Rich DeMarco. Rich, getting ready to call Saturday's Army-Navy game up in East Rutherford. Welcome in, 3 p.m. kickoff. How are you this week? How many of these things do you do this week, Rich? As many as I can. I, you know, I don't like to say no, but I, if it's if it's uh, you know overlapping with stuff we got to do, it's a it's it's a crazy week. But before we start, I want to thank you, Price and, and Bill, for what you do not only uh, to help promote Army but Service Academy football in general. Um, yeah, you get it. You understand the mission. You understand what these academies are doing. So it's always one of my favorite spots each year or whenever you reach out to be able to spend some time with you guys. So thank you. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to have you, Rich. Before I kick it to Bill, I you know, Army, you guys have just had another magical season. Forget the three-game hiccup in the middle of it, but – you know, so many, so many roller coaster moments. As I think most programs do over the course of a long college football season. But you know, the roller coaster you guys have had. I mean, a shootout that felt like basketball against Wake Forest. You know, going back early in the season. Um, you know, a first half against Air Force that looked nothing like a second half. You know, as you get to this point, you know, so far, what has been the defining moment in the season? from your chair in that play-by-play, you know, role that you have with the Army Black Knights? And it's interesting you asked that question because actually I asked that question to our cadet athletes the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, in getting into the Liberty game, which obviously was a really tough opponent over Thanksgiving weekend, then, of course, the Navy. The word I hear from them, which is what I really believe, is resiliency. I mean, this is a team that began the season an underdog on the road to Georgia State, a Georgia State team that was predicted by many to be mm-hmm. one of the best teams in the Sunbelt Conference, went in there, had a dominating performance, started out 4-0. Then, really, you're looking at probably the assumption of, hey, 5-0, and and then a chance to go to Wisconsin, host Wake Forest. Hey, maybe there's a ranking. Maybe, you know, this, this could be really cooking the hiccup against Ball State. Playing well against Wisconsin, and look at what Wisconsin has done since that game, and coming mm-hmm. up just short, but it's still a loss. And then... Wake Forest, where I don't think anyone could have predicted the score for either team. If you told me, I thought Army was going to have a tough time stopping Wake <laughs> Forest, but if you told me Army was going to put up 56, I would have said it was going to be a win, right? Yeah. But not realizing Wake Forest is going to put up 70. And then at that point where in that bye week after Wake Forest, and you realize what's left, right? There's There's four games, and then there's Navy, and then hopefully there's a bowl game. But really, the biggest game is always that next game. But knowing Air Force was coming up, and that was really going to be a season-defining game, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you beat Air Force, not that you could forget about the three-game losing streak, but you know, you're you're on track for your goals for the year, right? You will have retained the Commander-in-Chief's trophy. You will be playing Navy for a chance to win it outright in December. And the way that Air Force <laughs> game played out, having to throw the ball, going to overtime, the 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 unique touchdown with the fumble recovery in the end zone, that just ignited this team. And I would say the resiliency to bounce back from those three losses and then really in a season-defining win against Air Force leading into now what's been a four-game win streak, that's mm-hmm. been probably the word to describe this team. Rich, obviously there's no need for extra motivation going into this game because it is Army-Navy, and we all know what that means. But if they, for some reason, trip against this Navy team, they still has to be some satisfaction that it doesn't matter. That trophy is not leaving West Point. 
You know, it's another great question because I've asked about that as well. And I talked to Jeff Munkin yesterday and his, he was very clear. He's like, yes, the trophy will be here, but if Army doesn't beat Navy, it's going to be sitting on a shelf, essentially collecting dust. It'll be here, but it's not going to be celebrated in the way should Army beat Navy sure. and actually win that trophy. So it was great to get the true clarification from him about retained versus winning outright. But you're right, we'll still see it. But, you know, when he looks at it, it's not he's not going to look at two wins. He's going to probably look at the loss against Navy and being unable to win it outright. All right, continuing with Rich DeMarco, the play-by-play voice of the Army Black Knights. And, Rich, you know, the, the, the privilege, the honor to bring this game not only into homes, into cars, into iPhones, headsets, but bases around the world. What do you hear from, you know, active duty servicemen and women serving? You know, you might hear from them, uh, you know, months later after, you know, they're tuned in to a radio, Armed Forces Network, whatever it is, listening to your call. They want to hear the Army call and the privilege. What do you hear from folks? And, you know, what is it like just to hear, hey, I was in Kuwait listening to your call at so-and-so in the morning. I'm sure those stories, you hear them quite often. I'll tell you, Price, that is the greatest compliment you can get as a play-by-play now. So that's, and I always, whenever I, I speak or I'm, you know, talking to folks, first of all, if you're a play-by-play guy, I always say this, if you're a play-by-play guy, the best um, compliment you can get is, let's say you're at a dinner or you're at some kind of event, and someone comes up to you and says, hey, you know what, I couldn't be at that game, I couldn't watch it, you know, you were my eyes and ears in my car when I'm driving. You know, that's like, as a play-by-play guy, that's like the coolest thing you can hear from someone, right? So then take it a step further when you hear from folks that say, hey, you know what, when Army was playing Duke in basketball, Armed Forces Network didn't pick up the TV feed a few years ago. So all of us got up in the middle of the night um, overseas and we were Mm -hmm. listening to you call that game, right? You can't get any better than that, right? You know, it's obviously, you know, if you're calling um, a civilian college, right? It's, it's, you're going to get, hey, I was, you know, driving in my car, couldn't be there. That's great. But, you know, I'm able to get it. A few of us that in these service academies are able to get it to another level that I think trumps all the other compliments you could get. So yep. that's um, that's the most special thing about doing this. And, and you hit it on the head twice. The most special thing is to be able to be trusted and be welcomed by fans who, who want to listen. Mm-hmm. They want to know about the team. They want to have a more detailed account description than maybe they could get with folks that aren't calling every game and not around this team. Um, but it's um, it's special, and you hit it right on the head, Price. Hey, when you look at the on-the-field, Rich, going up against Navy, who has been a team that we've watched, obviously, throughout the season doing doing the show here, and they've gotten better and better and better. And defensively, I think they've gotten better. If Jeff Munkin, head coach there at Army, had his druthers, is this going to be one of those games where he can just put it in the hands of Christian Anderson and they're going to run the ball, you know, 45, 50, 55 times? Or will he sprinkle in some Jabari Lewis and maybe throw the ball on occasion to try to catch them off guard? Do you think it's going to be your typical Army-Navy game? Or are they going to pull some tricks out, sort of like they did in the Air Force game, which the second half of that game was magical to watch, by the way. I enjoyed that <laughs> thoroughly to see both these teams throwing the football. Yeah. You know, it's a great question, Bill. I believe that it's, I mean, Druthers, sure. You'd love Christian Anderson not to be stopped, right? And that's what, and he can just run it the whole game. Reality is 
um, it's going to be some different things. And I think we saw a lot of two fullback stuff against Air Force, not saying that's going to happen against Navy, but something like that where maybe it's something we haven't seen a ton. We've seen a little two fullback since then, saw it against Liberty um, a couple of weeks back, but it, it, it's going to be something a little different. Because remember, if you're, if you're Navy, and you always say that the – records get thrown out here right but i've been i've been at west point for a number of years when there was no bowl game on the line for the army navy game for army and the thing i'd always say and people would say well what you know as a play-by-play guy what are you looking for what keeps you motivated well first of all motivated to call every game you always have navy at the end of the year which motivates you but the thing i always look at is and i'm really big into this is even if a team is out of bowl contention are they getting better? Are they a better team in November than they are in September? And what would disappoint me is when a team isn't better in November mm-hmm. than they are in September. So when I look at this Navy team, I'm watching their games. They are a so much better team now than they were in September. And again, I'm not not the cliche. You throw the records out and everything. But if the way Navy is playing now <clears throat> was playing its season, this would not be a three-win team. So I think you have to look at that and, and the way they're playing. They've had some tough opponents in the last six weeks, so they probably have you know lost some games against teams that are just downright better. But you look at the early part of that schedule, it would have been a much different season for Navy, and that's what scares me looking at it from an Army's perspective, especially the way the Navy defense is playing. You know, If the Navy defense plays the way they're playing, they might need a few plays, and they'll be right there. So that's, that's, what, um, that's my concern coming into this game. All right, Rich, you know, obviously everybody, you know, thinks offense. When you think triple option, service academy, it's always the, one of the first thing that pops into everybody's head. Some people from the Power Five, they'll say boring, but we think offense, right? Beautiful. Think I think it's option. beautiful. I, it's I, beautiful, Bryce. I can watch it all day long, and I will not get bored. However, you know, we've been preaching all season that, you know, defense is the often overlooked you know, side of the football topic story for Army that sometimes goes untalked about. And Andre Carter obviously leading the way, 6'7", 250-pound junior outside linebacker that can play all over the field as quick as a cat, leads the nation in sacks. And, you know, this total defense, Army's total defense is ranked in the top 20 in the country. This is the unit. I felt like it started with Jay Bateman a couple years ago. He left and went off, obviously, to North Carolina. Now it continues with Nate Woody. This is not a typical, and it hasn't been for years, Ben, but don't break. This is a playmaking Army attacking defense that makes plays and makes a difference in the game as much as an Army offense does. I'll tell you what, and I go back to the um, last year's game against Navy, and there was a a fumble that bounced right into John Radigan's hands. There's the the trip up for the safety. There's, you know, running down Xavier R-line, which was that beautiful, what, 52-yard run, but then it led to the goal line stand is – you know, I wouldn't call it, you know, people call it luck, but that those bounces never happened to Army for 14 years in those games. And these bounces happen seemingly all the time. The, I mean, it's not a defensive play, but the fumble that that bounces into, you know, Booby Law's shoulder and he scores the touchdown. The Andre Carter tip to Cameron Jones interception against Air Force. And it's just being so prepared. I ask Jeff Munkin this all the time. I say, how do you get those bounces? How do you make these plays? How does Markwell Broughton find the football being thrown right to him? Because if you look at it, it's like, well, that was lucky. But it can't be luck because I've been around this for so long when those plays didn't happen. And he said it's just being prepared and just being in the right place at the right time and knowing where you need to be. And that's the biggest thing 
about this team. I go back to something when Jeff Munkin got hired. It was on a it was Christmas week, right? Late December of 2013. And we had a weekday basketball game. You know, one of those like basketball games, like on a Wednesday at like one o'clock, oh, yeah. a couple of days after Christmas, right? So he was introduced, let's say at like 10 a.m. and the game was at one. So he came to the basketball game and he came out at halftime with me when I was calling the basketball game, the halftime interview, right? He was introduced to the crowd and everything. So we're about, we're in break, about to start, you know, coming back from the interview. He goes, Rich, just real quick, um, you know, what's the biggest thing you think that this program needs? And I said, coach, you know, from being around here, the biggest thing is, you know, we've had situations where we're having to burn timeouts coming out of a quarter break. We're having delay games coming out of a timeout. You know, we're doing things that, look, it's hard enough for Army to win a game when they don't make those mistakes, right? Because of the talent level, because of the recruiting advantages, whatever. Now you add in those kind of unforced mistakes, Army's got no chance, right to win those games when when you're when it's false starts when it's those kind of things so when you when you think about what has put this team in position it's not making those mental mistakes not making the absent-minded false starts the 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 jumping off sides sure they happen sometimes but having to burn a timeout because the play clock's running down after a timeout had already been called like that's inexcusable stuff and the fact that all that's been tightened up, and it's not easy to tighten up. I think it's mm-hmm. to us, it seems, oh, well, come on, how does that happen? But it's it's a mindset. It's a culture. And that culture has led to all those things, especially on defense. And it's funny that you bring up the defensive thing because I asked myself the exact same questions. Like, how do these plays happen? How does how does the ball get tipped to, to Cameron Jones? How does um, how, how do you run down a guy three yards from the goal line making up 50 yards? And it's... And it's just a beautiful thing to watch defensively this Army team operate. Well, Rich, we've talked offense, we've talked defense. Let's talk about special teams because that's a spot that Navy has struggled with this year. They've given up two kickoff returns and a punt return for a touchdown. And Army's been pretty good on their special teams this year. Is this a spot where you look at it and say, okay, if the game is going to turn, maybe the Black Knights have a little bit of an advantage because Navy has struggled at times with their special teams unit? Interesting, because I always think that's the hidden part of the game, right, is special teams. And that's where you have hidden yardage on on a punt that you're able to down at the one-yard line. And the, the punt return for eight yards is eight yards that you don't see maybe in the box score. And Zach Harding has really been such a weapon for this Army team. His ability to put the ball inside the 10-yard line has been just a gem. And if it comes to a situation like that, I remember Harding, what was it in last year's Army-Navy game, was terrific. I always go back to, it's funny, was that there's the Army-Navy, the 3-3 Army-Navy game, right? Back in, what, 80 or 81, I want to say. And and Joe Sartiano, the Army punter, was the MVP of that game. Remember <laughs> last year saying Zach Harding's performance against Navy? He could have maybe been an MVP, but yeah. um, it, Harding is terrific. And then and then kicking-wise, you know, Cole Talley's bounced back. He didn't play at all last year. Came out as a freshman in 2019, had a big leg you know, remembered by many having that 50 yard field goal lined up to potentially win the Michigan game. And he had gotten hurt during the game, you know, missed that field goal and really had the distance. If he wasn't hurt, who would have known how that kick might've gone. And he's come back and had a really good year. And yeah, the special teams and and those little hidden things, a huge, 
I'm not going to say, you know, Navy's, you know, working through what they've worked through, but for Army, such an advantage, the special but, teams. Especially. But you guys have blocked three punts on the year mm-hmm. as well, right? So, I mean, that it's not even just the returns, but it's the sure. ability to get to the kicker. And Navy has struggled with that. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is a big play, whether it's a return or if Army gets a block in this, because that, that's a spot where I, I think people are, are maybe, as you said, is kind of hidden that people may be missing yeah. that that could go down. Well, three blocks and then two other deflected punts that really hurt the yardage going down. I never know how they how they term a blocked punt anymore. Like if you if you tip it, like if you tip a pump and it goes sixty yards, it's not a block kick. But if you tip it and it goes twenty yards, it is a block. Kick. Oh, no, yeah, but you know, <laughs> but um, yes, the ability to get to the punter and um, Reekin Donaldson has been terrific. I mean, last year and this year, I mean, he's someone that can just get there and he'll go all out. Uh, to, to block that kick. All right, last one for me, Rich, before we start wrapping up and I'll let Bill finish us off. But, you know, last year, that game, I, I still say if any Army-Davy game, maybe at least in the last 20, since I've been a part of it, last year would have been, if I could pick any game, would have been last year's game to be at. Because I calling that game from Mikey Stadium, playing Navy at home, I still think would be a surreal. It was surreal watching it on television, what I could see through the fog. I don't know what it was like trying to call it through the fog and sitting in the Mikey press box when you're so used to being in Philly or New Jersey, you know, calling that game. You know, the fact that it's going to be going back, you're going to go back with all the pageantry without, you know, a semi-empty stadium of, you know, what we had to go through last year. And playing in your backyard, New Jersey, 20th anniversary of 9-11, really back to what, you know, the the feeling and experience of what the true Nar- Army-Navy experience is. I know that's going to be a refreshing feeling, not just for the staff, but for you and for everybody around Army Athletics, including Navy, to be back in the, the setting that is is normal, you know, for everybody in East Rutherford on Saturday. Yeah, and it was it was special last year. And that's the thing. You know, people look at, well, there, there weren't fans. There were just the, the cadets and the midshipmen. And that was obviously that was disappointing, right? You want fans. At, at sure. Game, but it was so special knowing that. Really, it was a once-in-a-lifetime last year. And, and knowing when you're there that there's yeah. never going to be an Army-Navy game. I mean, there's going to have to be what a global pandemic, right, for, for yeah. that to happen um, on, a, on a home site. But you're right, looking forward to being, um, you know, at the Meadowlands for the, the first time in that stadium, obviously 20 years since 9-11. And that's been a been a kind of a thread through. You had the Air Force-Navy game on September yeah. 11th. And now you have the Army-themed uniforms um, for you know, Task Force Dagger, which was obviously the response after September 11th, the, the pageantry, I think it's just one of those things where, you know, you're able to share how special army Navy is and the service Academy football is with the country and the world. You know, people like you, Bill price, you know, you live it every week, right? I watch service Academy football as much as I can, obviously call mm-hmm. the army games where it's cool to be able to, I don't know if it's a puff your chest out or whatever, but say, Hey, you know what? Here's the nation. This is what I'm watching <laughs> every week. This is what I think is beautiful. Right. And you're, you're you get to see it one uh, one time a year and and as i like to say you know we could talk for hours right we could do a podcast for probably about 10 hours a day about everything wrong in sports and wrong in college athletics and as i like to say army navy is three hours where it's a celebration of everything great in college athletics right of of the mission of the of of the players on the field the academies and just just the celebration of america and i'd like to say everything that's right in college sports yeah. All right, last thing, Rich. Obviously, Jeff Munkin has had a lot of success there over the past few years and really built this program back up to where I'm sure Army fans want it to be. 
is there any thought that Coach Munkin may be on, you know, those lists of teams that are looking for a new coach? <laughs> or do you feel like he's a lifer, that he's going to be here in 2022 when you're preparing once again for another Army-Navy clash? <laughs> you know, and no one can predict the future. And you just know that Jeff Munkin has built the Army program into so much of a better job, so much of a better situation than it was when he took over that you know and he'll he's the first to say it's bigger than one person it's bigger than a coach the culture of the program that um you know what i'm thankful every day jeff munkin's the head coach every game that he coaches and you know at, at some point if it ever um comes a time where he's not the head coach um the leadership is going to bring in um a, a great coach to continue it but i'm thankful every day i get to work with jeff munkin one of my favorite people i have ever had a chance to work with and i'm just thankful that um, i've had a, a front row seat to some of the great moments really in recent army football history because of him and you've had the call for many of those rich demarco the play-by-play -play voice of the army black knights follow him on twitter at rich demarco rich we cannot thank you enough have a great call drink a lot of green tea whatever it's going to take to keep those pipes greased and ready for three o'clock on saturday my man Hey, thank you, and, and thank you for all you guys do, promoting Army football, Service Academy football. Anytime you, you need me or, or want me back, I'm, uh, I would love to. In 2007, Marine First Lieutenant Travis Manion was killed in Iraq after saving his wounded teammates. Travis's legacy lives on through the five words he spoke before leaving for his final deployment. If not me, then who? Words that today fuel the spirit of Travis Manion Foundation. Words that live in veterans, families of the fallen, and inspired civilians who go out of their way to find a way, who help others with the help of others, who bounce back after each setback who make good on good intentions. Through Travis Manion Foundation, if not me, then who, are words that can live in you too. Show the world what your character is made of, because character is invisible until it's not. Find out how you can strengthen the character of your community alongside empowered veterans, families of the fallen, and inspired civilians at travismanion.org. That's travismanion.org. Welcome back in. Now talking with John Feinstein, the best-selling author, author of A Civil War, also his brand-new latest literary novel, Raise a Fist, Take a Knee, Race in the Illustration of Progress in Modern Sports. We'll talk about John's new book here before we let him go. But, John, Army-Navy week, and I quote you on this, nothing in sports moves me like the Army-Navy game, end quote. You wrote that not too long ago, just a couple of years ago. Here we are in Army-Navy uh, game week. 
last year was a surreal experience, but I know getting back to the normalcy of, you know, the pageantry of being in a stadium, everything that comes with an annual Army-Navy game, I know that everybody's looking forward to this, especially you, because this is the one you circle on the calendar every year. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Price. And, Bill, it's good to talk to you, as always. Uh, I, I, you know how I feel about this game. and It's, it's not just a game. It's more than a game. It's an event. It's, uh, it's, it's full of tradition. Uh, it's, my wife, I think I've told you this before, always sends me a text mm-hmm. while they're playing the alma maters. And she says, are you crying yet? Yeah. And the answer is always yes. Uh, and I don't think I'm the only one who feels that way by, by any stretch. And you used the right word, Price. Last year was surreal. Uh, playing it in Mikey Stadium with only the brigade and only the cadets there. And the weather was just weird, you know, with all that fog. Uh, and... So now it's sort of like, okay, we're back to, and not to take anything away from Army's win last year, but we're back to a real Army-Navy game. There'll be 75,000 people in the seats. We'll have all the traditions that come with the game, pre-game, from the march on to the, to the, you know, the exchange of prisoners, and then the game itself and the uh, playing of the alma mater. So, yeah, you're right. I'm definitely looking forward to it. John, obviously a lot has been made. A lot has been made of, of this being the 20th anniversary of 9/11 and, and and everything from this year. How how much more special does this game, or how much more significance does this game take on with having the 75,000 people in the stands for this one? Well, you know, I, you know, I've been to a lot of Army Navy games, as you know, and it's hard to think of any particular game and everything around the game becoming more special. I'm sure there will be. Uh, a moment of silence and, and some kind of tribute to uh, acknowledge the fact that uh, 9-11 happened 20 years ago right across the river uh, in New York, uh, among other places, obviously. Uh, so, I, I, again, I don't need anything more to make get me excited about Army Navy. Let me put it to you that way. I'm sure there will be more, but it'll, it'll be a special day for everybody involved. And, you know, one of the things I talked to Kenny Amadololo about this week is getting the players to focus not on the emotion of the game, but on the game. And and, and, it just, and that, that's always an issue with Army Navy. I remember coming out of the tunnel uh, with, with the teams the year I did Civil War, and some of those kids were so pumped up they could barely see the field. And that, that's one of the things the coaches have to deal with in this game that you don't deal with in other games. All right, continue with John Feinstein. Follow him on Twitter at J Feinstein Books. And, you know, how has Army flipped the script in this rivalry, John? Uh, obviously winning on the field and, and continually doing that does that. But what are some of the things that have gone into, you know, where Navy had the momentum for 14 years, now Army's got it all? Well, I think that uh, you have to start with Jeff Munkin. And every time a new coach comes into a program that's been losing, the first thing he says is, well, we're going to change the culture. I'm not yeah. sure I even know what that means, right? <laughs> but Jeff Munkin did change the culture. And, and, and he did it in the sense that Rich Ellison was, was, is a terrific guy. And if he had a weakness, it 
it was mm-hmm. that he respected the lives of the cadets too much. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that was, when they would make mistakes in practice, he would take the approach, well, they've been up since 5 o'clock in the morning. They have all these other responsibilities. I don't want to jump all over them for making a mental error. Well, Jeff Hunger jumps all over them when they make a mental error. And, and, and he basically said, I know what you're going through. I get it. But when you're on a football field, nobody you're going to play on Saturday gives a damn what you've gone through. They just want to kick your butt. And he's, he's brought that mentality to Army, which, you know, Paul Johnson brought to Navy. And then this Kenny Gamakololo picked up, picked up that baton. And they, they've copied a lot of what Navy's done, not just in terms of running their, their offense, but in terms of their approach to recruiting, their approach to practice, their approach to offseason. Uh, you know, Jeff Bunkin was an assistant in Navy under Paul Johnson, so that's not a coincidence. And they've been able to, to recruit better, which is always the key, uh, than they did in, during that 14-year drought. And not only did they not beat Navy, but, but a lot of those games were routes. And uh, it's funny because I was talking to, to Kenny, as I said earlier this week, and I, I made that comment. He said, no, 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 all the games are close. And I said, no, they weren't. And he, Kenny, Kenny looked up the scores, and there was 34 to nothing in there, and 31 to 7, 20, 24 to 3. And he said, mm, they all fell close. <laughs> and, and that's because of the tension that comes with Army Navy, regardless of score. Yeah, and talking about that, John, this game, as Army has kind of flipped the script, those games up until last year have still been relatively close when Army wins. You look at these two teams, and, I mean, Price and I have talked about it. It looks like Army is clearly the superior team when you look at talent and everything else, but are you expecting this to be a right-down-to-the-wire game on Saturday? Honestly, I, I really do, Bill, and, and I think the records are a little deceptive. I mean, Army Day Street is legit. Um, they played, I believe, eight bowl games. Uh, their losses are to they had one loss to Paul, Paul State that, that was a bad loss, but it was on the road against a decent team. Uh, and then their other two losses were to Wake Forest and Wisconsin. Those are not bad losses. Navy has played what might be the toughest schedule in the country. Uh, they played more bowl teams than anybody, 11. And three of those three of those 11 teams were Cincinnati, Houston, and Notre Dame, who finished a combined 34-3. and And Cincinnati's in the playoff, and, and Notre, Notre Dame's Notre Dame. They always, and Navy always plays them either on the road or at a neutral site. Houston was on the road. So Navy, Navy's record is deceiving. And then if they, were, if they had played Army's schedule, I'm not going to tell you they'd be eight three, but I will tell you they won't be three. They would not be three and eight. Yeah. And they've improved during the course of the season. Uh, the offensive line was terribly inexperienced at the start of the year. They, they couldn't keep a, a, a pass rush out of the backfield to save their lives. They've improved with experience, uh, and I think the defense has been good almost all year. Uh, and their special teams were terrible early in the year. Uh, at one point, they had eight sleeves playing on their kickoff team. Uh, they've gotten better. Uh, and the key, of course, is going to be whether they can run their option against Army defense. But I, I do expect, I don't expect this game to be around one way or the other. 
All right, John, before I ask you about the new book, uh, last one is relates to, you know, th- you know, what we're talking about here in the academies, you know, the transitions ongoing with college athletics as it relates to name image likeness, um, conference realignment to college football playoff expansion, all the, the, the big things going on driven clearly by football. Where, where do the academies fit into all of this? Well, uh, name image and likeness is the middle of the academy. Uh, you know, they're all members of the Army and, 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 and cadets. They're all members of the Navy or the Marines and the midshipmen. Uh, the transfer rule, I think, makes it tough, tougher for Army, Navy, and Air Force because Army, Navy, and Air Force, generally speaking, don't take transfers. But they do lose transfers. Uh, and especially now, you guys know the rules. You can leave after your sophomore year with no penalty at all. Uh, and now at the academy, and now you can not only do that, but you can play the next year. You don't have to sit out a year. So that that's going to make the job tougher for all three academy coaches. Now, I do think that the most significant part of this might be the conference realignment because, as you know, uh, the uh, America Athletic Conference is going to undergo a severe change in a few years. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati's leaving. Houston's leaving, and Central Florida's leaving. They've recruited six other schools that aren't as glamorous or as accomplished to replace them. My suggestion, and nobody ever listens to my suggestion, <laughs> my suggestion, if I was asked, would be go back to being an independent. Uh, I think that Navy's done an amazing job to be as competitive as it's been in the AAC because it is a very good conference. Uh, as we see year in and year out, they produce undefeated teams like Cincinnati, like Central Florida. Uh, you know, they had some very, very good teams, including Navy a couple of years ago when they were 11 and 2. Um, but one of the things that helps Army is the ability to control their schedule and, and to throw in a couple games. Like after the Air Force game, which was a huge win, of course, but their next two games were Bucknell and UMass. There's no way they're losing those games. Those games are automatic wins. Navy didn't have a single automatic win on its schedule this year. And because of the conference, they only control one game a year. They've got to play eight conference games. They've got to play Notre Dame, Army, and Air Force. Go, go back to what Paul Johnson used to call the 4-4-4 schedule, where yep. you schedule four teams you know you're going to beat, like UMass and Bucknell. You schedule four teams that if you're good, you'll beat. If you're not, they're toss-ups. You schedule four, four teams that are going to be good. Army, and, uh, Air Force, Notre Dame, and, 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 and another money game. And that yeah. way, if you're good, you're going to win at least eight games. If you're not good, you might win six games, and you're still going over all. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. And that's the way scheduling is really – change and it's I think it's much tougher obviously because there's less games but it's much tougher in college football to be able to go and get those games like a Bucknell like a Lafayette or or teams like that when you are stuck in the conference schedule and you really have no control over how good the rest of the conference is going to be that's exactly right Bill and and, you know again like I said many people have played one non-goal team after Saturday one uh, you need a couple more games like Bucknell, like UMass, like Connecticut. Uh, used to be in, in, in Navy's league, but it's not anymore. Uh, that you, you know that as long as you show up, you're going to win the game. And uh, 
people say, well, it's tough to schedule a division tournament. Not if you're Army or Navy. No. Because people want to play Army and Navy. Uh, and, and people like Wisconsin and Ohio State, Michigan, and also people like Bucknell and UMass. So it's not a problem getting a schedule put together. All right, John, uh, raise a fist, take a knee, race in the illustration of progress in modern sports. Your latest literary novel, um, you said, quote, none of us is trying to make a race, is trying to make race an issue. Race is an issue, end quote. And, you know, how did you come to decide? I mean, obviously, it's been a turbulent time the last couple of years in, in America. It's a it's a sensitive topic. How did you come to decide to write the book? What role did, say, being a white male play in writing this versus, say, someone of color who has experienced racial inequality in sports? And just to throw in, book is available now, and, and the forwarder is written by the great uh, Redskins quarterback, Doug Williams. The great Washington football team quarterback. <laughs> excuse, uh, excuse me, Washington football team. Be, it, pardon me. Yeah, yeah, they were the Redskins when he played to them. But um, yeah. I think it's a long story, Bryce, that I lay out in the introduction after Doug's forward. But uh-huh. uh, the Reader's Digest version is I was in an NFL stadium every Sunday in 2017 when the anthem protests were taking place on a weekly basis, the year after Colin Kaepernick. And what I saw and heard was mostly black players dealing and mostly white men bullying. And my thought was, and again, I grew up in New York City. I was I played ball with white kids, black kids, Hispanic kids, and never gave it a second thought. It was just, you know, can you play? That was all that mattered. But clearly that's not the case in a lot of places in our country. Um, I certainly went through culture shock when I went to college in the South. But the but I, my thought then was, boy, are we polarized? And, and and I went to see John Thompson, who had become kind of a mentor of mine. And I said, I want to write a book on race and sports, but I don't know where to begin because it's such a massive topic. And he said, you might as well try to explain the Holy Trinity. And then he pointed a finger at me and said, which is why you have to do it. And his point was that you're right, right? I, I have never experienced being black. I wouldn't pretend to know what it feels like to be black. I've never been stopped on a highway for DWP driving while black. Everybody I interviewed for this book who was black has been stopped at some point, in many cases, multiple times. They live a different life than white people do. It's just that simple, regardless of whether you're in sports or not. And my feeling was, a lot of people said, well, how can you write this book when you're white? And my answer to that was, you know, I've written books on college basketball coaches. I never coached college basketball. I've written yeah. books on what it's like to play on the PGA Tour. I, I, I never I never played on the PGA Tour. I wrote a book on the Army Navy rivalry. I wouldn't survive 15 minutes in either place. But all my books are based on reporting. And that's yeah. what I did in this book. I talked to about 100 different people, most of them black, not all of them, uh, to, so they could tell me their experiences and why they feel in 2021, even though we've obviously made progress, we still have a long way to go. And part of the problem right, is that there are so many white people who don't understand that or choose not to understand that. Sure. And, and that, that, that's the difficulty for so many black people. I mean, just, just, uh, I'll just give you one quick example. Look at Eric Bannon. He's run the best offensive football in Kansas City for three years. Uh, he he interviewed for 11 head coaching jobs. 
he still hasn't got one. Yeah. Is there any way that would be the case if he were white? The answer is no. And and there are plenty of other examples of things like that throughout the book. A lot of people who've read the book have told me that it's an uncomfortable book to read because mm-hmm. of the fact that these are these are tough issues for all of us. But yeah. I, I, I think it's the most important book I've ever written just because of that. John, it's yeah. it's interesting because obviously you you've been around sports you know longer than than Price and I have, but doing what we've done for as long as we have, I think sometimes we get lost in the fact that it is this way because when you are in sports, a lot of times the Eric Bieniemy's example aside, but as far as players go, you realize that. 99% of the time, the coach is going to play the guy who's going to give him the best opportunity to win the game, no matter what his background is. And I think we yep. sometimes get caught up in that bubble and don't see how it is for everybody else outside of it. And I think that's where, in some cases, people have trouble seeing it because I'd be the first one to admit that I would go, well, I don't know how this is a problem because I see white kids getting beat out by Spanish kids, African-American kids, whatever it is. I see it all the time. But it's a totally different thing when you get out of, say, in basketball, the 94 by 47, uh, you know, rectangle that they play on. Yeah, no, Bill, you're absolutely right. And, you know, Gary Williams, uh, the great former Maryland coach, made the point that when he grew up in Camden, New Jersey, uh, he was often the only white kid uh, on, the, on the playground where he played basketball. And he, but nobody cared because he was good. And, and, and the scoreboard doesn't notice what color you are or what your ethnic background is. And that's why 75% of the players in the National Football League right now are black. But three out of 32 coaches are black. Right. Five out of 32 general managers are black. And as you guys know, being in D.C., Martin Mayhew, who's technically the general manager of Washington, reports to Ron Rivera, who the NFL considers a minority. Because his father was Puerto Rican, even though he grew up in California. It's very complicated, but your point is very well taken. Playing is an absolute meritocracy. Everybody wants the best players on the field, and they don't care about color, ethnicity, background, or or whether they're a good guy or a bad guy, right? Right, yeah. guys come back from domestic disputes and, you know, where they're found guilty of domestic assault in their chair. Why? Because they're good. So that's a meritocracy. But in terms of coaching, in terms of, of general manager stuff, now Andy Newsom said that uh, when Andy Newsom was 14, he tried out for a, a top quarter team, and he was the best player. And so he instinctively walked over to be, you know, try out for quarterback. And he said, if he walked over to the group that of quarterback, he said, they're not going to let me play quarterback. I'm black. <laughs> There's no way. And he said, you know, 50 years later. Obviously, they make great progress. Probably half a dozen of the best quarterbacks in the NFL are black, whereas years ago they would have been told to change positions. But two things. One, Lamar Jackson was told to change positions three years ago. Right. Not 50 years ago. Three years ago. And to this day, this is Ozzy talking, not me. He believes you have to be twice as good if you're black to get a head coaching job, a general manager's job, a CEO job, and any Now, the NBA is a lot more progressive than the NFL, and the numbers show that. But, again, 75% of the players are black. Seven of 30 coaches are black. So, there's a, as I said, there's, a lot of, there's been a lot of progress. You can see it in front of us. 
but there, there's still a long, long way to go. And that's really what all these guys told me as I, as I researched the book. All right, the book is Raise a Fist, Take a Knee. I think it's clear between the three of us, the one who is not based in the Beltway is my faux pas and mention of Redskins there that I don't <laughs> live in inside the Beltway. So uh, my apologies, gentlemen. Uh, John, I understand you're going to be on the pregame commentary with the Navy uh, Radio Network on Saturday. I will be, and obviously I'll be in the stadium for the game. And actually going to a dinner Friday night with – Guys from the who were involved in the Civil War from both Army and Navy were having a 25th anniversary celebration of the book in New York the night before the game. So that'll be pretty cool. That's very. Well, cool. I am. I am biased. I do think a Civil War is. Uh, is your greatest at least work in my book it's my fate it's just a personal favorite of mine uh recommend it to so many people that have never had the taste of the service academies or even uh, an army navy game john we can't thank you enough for your time today buddy thank you so much my pleasure guys good to talk to you as always thanks again to john feinstein for hopping on and joining us here on the army navy preview show coming up next our travis manion foundation honor roll In this episode of the Travis Manion Foundation Honor Roll segment, where we honor and remember a fallen hero, somebody that has given the ultimate sacrifice. And as you know, the Travis Manion Foundation is empowering veterans and families of fallen heroes to develop character in future generations. And if you want to be a member of the Travis Manion Foundation, find out how you can make a difference as well. Join them online, travismanion.org. And this week, we're going to honor and remember the life of Philip McGeeth who gave the ultimate sacrifice uh, while serving our country as a corporal in the United States Marine Corps on January the 18th, 2012. And he made his home in Glendale, Arizona, uh, but grew up in the state of Texas that he loved so much. And Abilene, to be exact, uh, went to Cooper High School, and Abilene loved the University of Nebraska. And he was following in his father's footsteps, who also uh, served in the armed forces as an airman, Philip McGeeth, who was uh, one or one of six, had five younger brothers, two of which decided to follow in his footsteps uh, and serve in the United States Marine Corps. And he certainly knew the risk <clears throat> that he was taking uh, in joining the Marine Corps uh, ever since his family spent time uh, in Japan while his dad was serving. Um, he was one of those guys that uh, his family describes as straight up love and concern for everybody. And he was brutally honest and people accepted that, but you could trust him completely uh, is what they said. And Philip's love for his wife, Sarah, and his family was exceptional. Uh, according to TMF, he never finished a conversation with either Sarah or his mother without asking about the other and his siblings. And as his mother talked about uh, in the Travis Manion Foundation, which they became involved with uh, in a project with TMF, here's his mother, Phyllis, in her own words. He was a helper. He would give anybody his last buck. If you needed a ride, he'd come get you. Just the whole experience was just seemed out of my world. The hard work we put into surviving, we were able to put into providing for this family. 
that was Philip McGee's mom, Phyllis. And, you know, the people of Afghanistan reportedly, according to his family, uh, just really, really enjoyed Philip, the person he was. Some referred to him as, quote, muscle glasses, end quote. Others referred to him as the one with the big smile, end quote. He also loved teasing the children in the country, and they adored him. As hard as he was on his own brothers and sisters, he loved them a million times more than the bossiness he showed. And his top character strengths listed as honesty, love, and hope. And he is survived by his parents, Phyllis, his mom, and his mother, David, as well as five younger brothers. And again, he was a native of Texas, made his home in Glendale, Arizona. And so we take a step back and honor and remember the life of uh, Corporal Philip Dane McGeeth, 25 years old, gave his life uh, in January 2012, supporting Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan. And so we take this time to remember those who have given the ultimate sacrifice. Thanks to Rich DeMarco, the play-by-play voice of the Army Black Knights. Always appreciate spending time with Rich here on the podcast. And also appreciate John Feinstein, the best-selling author, for being with us in the last segment. So appreciate John and all his time he's given us over the years here on Yards and Stripes. And you know, also want to say thank you to the Travis Mannion Foundation because they have supported us the last couple of years, and we also, in turn, try and support them. And you can find out a lot more about the Travis Mannion Foundation online at travismannion.org. If not me, then who? The words that Travis himself spoke uh, before deploying on his final time. Travis Mannion Foundation, building character in future generations in communities across the country. I highly, highly recommend, uh, if you're interested, to check them out online at travismannion.org. Dot org. Uh, real quick, Bill, before we get to some predictions here, um, we touched on it last week, but again, Navy will wear the Fly Navy uniforms, those uh, Navy blue uniforms, uh, the gray helmets uh, in tribute uh, to uh, the FA-18 Hornet, um, you know, inspired the 2021 uniform. It's, you know, obviously a, a uh, fighter jet uh, that, a lot of people know that is recognizable, you know, across the globe. So the FA-18 Super Hornet inspiring these fly Navy uniforms by Under Armour that the midshipmen will wear on Saturday. And, you know, Nike's United We Stand, the white threads that the Black Knights will wear in honor of these Special Forces Operational Detachment Alphas from the 5th Special Forces Group. Always love when they, you know, some of the looks I haven't liked over the years. Um, wasn't wild about the banana yellow uh, Navy helmets uh, that year. They were different, but sometimes it's, you know, look, we're all the uniform police when we get down to it. We all have opinions on, you know, what our, you know, whether it be our favorite team or teams that we cover, we've always got an opinion. Uh, I like both of these this year. Uh, those That Navy blue and that, you know, the, the logo on, on, on the helmet, and the, it, it just seems to pop. Yeah, no, I like the again, the Army one is an, an 8 out of 10. It's great. Mm-hmm. The Navy one might be a 12 out of 10. It is tremendous. And, yeah, everybody's going to look at it and say, oh, that's the, that's the Top Gun logo. If you go back to the old, the old movie and, the, and the, I guess, the sequel that's coming up here in the spring. And that's the look that they have because that was, again, the planes they were flying in that movie. So uh, I like both uniforms. I like Navy's better. 
But yeah, sometimes I'm I'm one of these guys. I'm more of a traditionalist when it comes to uniforms. Yeah. I like you know just for co- keeping it in college football. I like Alabama's just put the the number on the side of the helmet and go play. It's not anything fancy. I don't like. And I know the kids do. So again, I'm sounding like an old man shaking his fist at the, at the cloud. But I don't like all the stuff that like Oregon does with their uniforms. That Nike, when they have like 72 different variations, give me a home, give me a road. I'll even take an alternate. I don't need all the different neon colored highlighter, you know, type uniforms. So when Army and Navy do it, it's cool. Because it's, they're doing it to represent something. They're not doing it just because, hey, we can sell another 50 jerseys of these at the, you know, at the, at the gift shop because we did yep. it in neon pink this week. So, yeah, I like both uniforms. <clears throat> yeah, I don't like to be the old crusty guy either, not liking change. You know, sometimes change is good. Um, you know, the one thing that you have is I've always never liked when teams come out and wear a color that has nothing to do with their Correct. color scheme. Like, Correct. Like tennis, like black is is one of my, you know, like you know, like Tennessee. I'm no Tennessee fan, but why does Tennessee wear black uniforms? I know it's because it's all the rage and and that's what the kids like. But you know, Kentucky coming out in in black uniforms. We wore gray in basketball a couple of years. It's we're blue and white. It's pretty simple. You right. Know, sometimes you have like a a third like you know, I don't want to call it a secondary color like an auburn. You know, maybe like, uh, uh, you know, Auburn is usually navy and or- they got that orange and then white. But, like, Clemson's got a little purple in them that you yep. see accented sometimes. But, you know, some of this stuff, when teams come out wearing colors, they have, I mean, they just, like, okay, well, why are you, I mean, I get the pink, you know, in October. But some of the ones where they're gray or black, the thing about Navy and Army is you can get away with that because of, you know, not just color scheme, but, especially like Navy, you talk about the Marine Corps. Right. If you're going back to try and pay tribute, you know, to, you know, servicemen and women in uniform and what they might wear, you know, in, in you know, active duty, uh, if it's something resembling, you know, the hardware that has to do with, you know, Army and Navy and, you know, even Air Force, you know, but then again, you go back and some of these things, some of them are just not my, my cup of tea. You get a little too exotic, but I think that both of these are awesome. You know, I just think Navy's pops a little bit more this year. While a couple of years ago, when Army wore the, you know, the predominantly white, and they won in the in the snow, I thought that yeah, was, was a cool. crazy killer look. When they it was snowing, it was I mean, it was coming down, and you could barely see Army out there because they were in all white. It reminded me uh, of Red Dawn. You know, not to <laughs> that's right, that's right. To get uh, pretend military. All right, um, all right, Bill. Let's get to kind of how we think this game's going to play out. Where do you see this game going? Well, again, I'm I'm on the side of Army in this one only because I think they have more talent and I think they have more guys that can disrupt, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think Carter's going to be a load for Navy to handle, um, and I think that's going to open up other things for other people on defense. As I mentioned, Smith earlier in, in the podcast, I think he's going to have a big day for Army in this one. And then I think they're just a little more stable offensively. I think they they don't necessarily have huge big playability, but I think they're just going to be solid. They're just going to not make the mistakes that I think Navy needs them to make. I don't think they're going to do anything self-inflicted necessarily. So I think it'll be close. I think ultimately, though, Army will pull away fourth quarter. We're looking at something like maybe a 20-10, 23-13-type win for Army Maybe it ends up even being a one-score game, but ultimately I think the Black Knights uh, take this um, 
although I think it's going to be closer than maybe a lot of people think. And 10 points may not sound close, but I'm, I'm thinking a late Army touchdown to put it away. So what, what was your score prediction I think again? It's, I think it's either going to be 20-10 or 23-13, somewhere in there. I don't think any. I don't think it's going to be one of those 10-3 type games or uh, 10-7. I think, I think the teams will score. I just don't think it's going to be – you're not going to see a Wake Forest Army track meet coming up on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, just if you're looking or wondering at home, a seven and a half point favorite army by seven and a half about over right. under is is thirty four, and you know I actually just had to look that up because um, I was curious because I was you know been going over in my head. All right, I know I'm going to have to do a, an actual score with Bill, and I usually like you know just kind of predict you know margin but i was like okay i got to give a score because i know bill will <laughs> and so yesterday i kind of settled on 20 to 13 i think there'll okay. be a couple field goals i think navy will find a touchdown but i think army will find a couple more um and so i was curious then well if it's a seven point game how does that line up with uh, the line and you know there you go army is seven and a half point favorite so i'm going with i'm going with 20 to 13 is what i think happens so um, yeah we're, we're both pretty much in the same spot then we kind of have an idea of where it's going to go and and yeah, that seven and a half line, boy. I tell you what, I, and, and I'm not a gambler, but if I were, that's a hard one uh, because you can see it ending up just being three a three point game or a seventeen thirteen type game. But I, I think Army gets a late touchdown and 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 pulls it off. Yeah, and it, it, you know, history is any indicator. You know, when these you know teams get together, you know, going back to 2014, everything has been a touchdown difference outside yeah. of when Navy won 31 to seven in 2019, and then last year. I mean, the score was a little. I, I you know, Army was flat out better than Navy was last year outside of when our line got free early in that third quarter and got it down inside what the the five yard line navy didn't score you know but it was really a, about a touchdown it was really a seven to nothing ten to nothing kind of game I and mean, it was close i mean it comes out to two touchdowns but you know last two years have been a little bit more lopsided but look you go back over the years this is this is tooth and nail man two teams that know each other coaching staffs who've coached together if it's it, that's a hard line too i'm with you seven and a half points you know, I can't see it going over it, but then, you know, Army is explosive. If Navy has trouble, could see this getting away and getting out of hand quick, you know, and Navy doesn't have the ability really with the, their offense to catch up. So I think it's going to be critical, you know, for Navy if they want to stay in the football game and win the football game, much less stay in it, is they're going to have to have a good first quarter because they've had, you know, times this season where the first quarter, early second, it has not been kind to the midshipmen. I'm going back even to that first game of the year against Marshall when, yeah. you know, it was over before you could blink. I think eight minutes into the game and, and it was 21 nothing. Yeah, they've got, as we've said the entire show, they have to avoid uh, disaster in special teams. They can't put the ball on the ground and they've been prone to fumbling. Uh, which you always are when you're handing the ball off as much as they do and all the you know misdirection stuff. You're going to have those mistakes. You're going to have those fumbles. Now, fortunately, I think for Navy so far this year, I think they fumbled 21 times. They've only lost five of those, but they have to avoid that. They cannot have the, the killer turnover deep in their own territory. They cannot have a punt return or a kickoff return taken back on them for a touchdown. They have to avoid any major mistake, and if they do that, and they're within a score in the fourth quarter, then things get interesting because 
It gets a little tighter on that Army sideline if you're in a one-possession type game and Navy starting to drive on you. It gets a little tight, but I think ultimately Army is going to do enough to win this football game. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think Army wins the football game. We're both in agreement. Army wins the 122nd Army-Navy football game presented by USA. Again, a three... Three o'clock, you know, airtime on big CBS, but it's a, a 310 kickoff. Brad Nessler, Gary Danielson will have the call. Jamie Erdahl on the sideline. Don't forget, Marchons will be will begin on the CBS Sports Network at 12 noon. All right, well, next week when we come back, we will talk all about this Army-Navy game. What transpired, what happened, key plays, key players, all that. We'll give out our game balls next week. We will also preview Army and Missouri in the Armed Forces Bowl, December the 22nd in Fort Worth, Texas. Also, Air Force versus Louisville in the Surpro First Responders Bowl. That one, December 28th in Dallas, Texas. So we will do that next week here on Yards and Stripes. Until then, appreciate everybody downloading, listening, subscribing. Bill, uh, we'll do it uh, as we wrap up. Only a couple episodes left. We'll do it again next week. Enjoy the game. I don't think you and I are going to miss a play. Yeah, it should be a good one on Saturday. Everybody just sit back. It's the only college football game on. So uh, sit back and enjoy. All right, folks, we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the game. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for being with us for this edition of Yards and Stripes Service Academy Football. A reminder to find us on social media through Yards and Stripes and subscribe or follow this podcast wherever you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. And we will catch you next time on Yards and Stripes Service Academy Football.